Well, good morning, friends. As Arthur said just a few minutes ago, we're continuing in this series called Prisoners of Hope. We're talking about how even in the most challenging circumstances of our lives, we can have hope, not because of our strength, not because of our intelligence, not because of our experience, but because of the goodness of God. Our series comes from the very next to last book in the uh, Old Testament, the book of Zechariah. It was written 2,500 years ago in a different part of the world, to a different culture, to people in a different situation. But as we unpack it together, we're, we're finding that it's not just a history lesson. It's not just an academic exercise because the God who spoke to the Israelites through Zechariah is the very same God that we are worshiping this morning. And the message that Zechariah brought to the Israelites is every bit as relevant to us today, 2,500 years later, as it was back then. And in the words of this book, we can find reasons to hope. Last week, Caleb preached a fantastic sermon from Zechariah chapter 1. If you missed it, I'd really highly encourage you to check out the podcast. He talked about how we can find hope in God's word. And this morning, we're looking at Zechariah chapter 2. You can turn there if you like. We're going to be talking about how we can find hope in God's intervention. At the end of chapter one, Zechariah begins to see a series of visions that describe what God's planning to do. And here in chapter two, the vision continues. So I'm going to begin reading at verse one. Hear the word of the Lord. Then I looked up and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, Zion, escape you who live in daughter Babylon, for this is what the Lord Almighty says. After the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye, I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. May God bless the reading of his word. Over the last few decades, we've seen something that I like to call the rise of DIY. The rise of DIY. Do you know what DIY stands for? Do it yourself, yes. Or some people say damage it yourself. Uh, which is a little closer to my own personal reality. You know, Chip and Joanna make it just look so easy on TV, don't they? But whenever I try something at home, I don't know about you, it just never works out quite the same. Uh, Many years ago when Joanna and I first moved into a house, uh, I didn't have much experience in DIY, but I thought I would, uh, I needed to kind of get on that DIY train. This was pre-YouTube, which was much, much harder, by the way. I had this orange book from Home Depot that told you how to do a few things. I don't know if any of you had that book, but my first project was to take a medicine cabinet in our guest bathroom out. Seemed like a pretty straightforward project. What you do is you get a drywall knife, which is like a miniature little saw, and you cut through the the drywall just a little bit bigger than the medicine cabinet, and you pull it out. So it seems like something even I couldn't 
mess up. So I was optimistic, uh, and I, I took the drywall knife, and I started cutting, and man, it was going great uh, at first. It was just like butter. And then I noticed that the farther down I got, the more resistance I was feeling. It was getting harder and harder and harder. And so I did what any smart person would do when they're holding a metal saw and cutting inside a wall that you can't see. I just kept going and pushed harder and harder and harder, and I kept sawing, kept sawing, right up to the point when the drywall knife flew out of my hand, a shower of sparks filled the bathroom, and all the lights went out. I had successfully cut all the way through the power line from the switch to the lights in the bathroom. Fortunately, the the drywall knife had a plastic handle, which saved me from an even more shocking situation. I learned a couple of things that day. Number one, I'm not as smart as I think I am. Number two, and more importantly, some jobs are too big for DIY. Some jobs are too big for DIY. Has anybody else learned this lesson by experience uh, at home? Be honest, you're in church. Has anybody else here ever made five trips to Ace Hardware on the same day? (laughs) And then called a professional to fix what you messed up later? Is it just me? Some jobs are too big for DIY, aren't they? And this is true not just for home improvement. Uh, It's true for life as well, isn't it? I mean, sure, we can do all sorts of amazing stuff. I mean, humanity has accomplished amazing, amazing things. We've built the internet. I mentioned YouTube before. We've sent people into space. Y'all, we invented a bluebell. I mean, the, the power of the human mind is incredible. And yet, and yet... All it takes is a quick look around to realize there's just so much we can't do ourselves, doesn't it? I mean, the year is 2023. We should have figured these things out by now, right? But look around you. There are still people killing each other. There's still mass shootings. Another shooting in Fort Worth this week. There's still wars. There's still poverty. Marriages are still falling apart. Relationships are still breaking. People are still struggling with addiction, with depression, with anxiety. People are still trying to find meaning and purpose in life. And it just, we just can't do it ourselves. Some jobs are too big for DIY, aren't they? Well, that's just what the Israelites were finding out in Zechariah's day. A little bit of context, this took place 500 years after King David and 500 years before Jesus. The golden era of King David's reign was long gone. The nation had been conquered first by Assyria and then by Babylon, and many of them had been carried off into exile in far-off lands, and Jerusalem was a shell of its former self. There were fewer than half as many people living there as there were before Babylon conquered them, and and the temple, the building that represented God's presence with them, his favor on them, had been destroyed many years earlier. As Caleb talked about last week, they, they tried to rebuild the temple, but that project had stalled out. It's fallen apart. The Israelites had tried to DIY. They tried to fix things themselves, but it wasn't working. What they had done is they had turned their back on God and said, yes, I, I know that you've given us the law, but I'm gonna, we're going to do things our own way. But it backfired. It backfired, and they found themselves just making things worse. And against this painful backdrop, we see a bright light of hope piercing through the darkness of their situation. Zechariah tells them that their hope is not in DIY. Their hope is in G-O-D. He says, our hope is not in our strength. It's not in our resources. It's not in our army. It's not in our wisdom. It's not in our intelligence. Our hope is in God's intervention. 
Our hope is that God is going to do something. And look what happens in verse 13. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. The Israelites can have hope because God is on the move. I love this phrase, he's roused himself. Isn't that a vivid phrase? Zechariah says, God, God is not up in heaven on the couch watching Netflix. He's not asleep. He is up. He's on the way and he's planning to intervene. And when I read the passage before, did you notice how many different times God promises to do something? We'll run through it really quickly. Check this out. Verse five, I will be a wall of fire around Jerusalem. I will be its glory within. Verse nine, I will raise my hand against your enemies. Verse 10, I am coming. I will live among you. Verse 11, I will live among you. Verse 12, the Lord will choose Jerusalem. Who's the subject of all those sentences? The Lord is the subject of those sentences. He's saying this is not a DIY project. It's a G-O-D project. God is preparing to intervene. And Zechariah is saying, don't give up. God is coming. God is coming. He's going to make everything right. Now, friends, this is a hugely important point for us this morning because we tend to, especially those of us who are born in the U.S., if we're honest, we tend to think we can do anything on our own if we just get all of our circumstances right. If we just get all of our resources right. And this spills over into our relationship with God. We can have this faulty thinking that I've got to be enough. I've got to do enough. And somehow I can do enough to please God. But God's word tells us so clearly that when it comes to the big stuff, we can't DIY. The Christian faith, listen, is not about what we can do for God. The Christian faith is about what Jesus has already done for us. Amen? Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in God's intervention. This passage tells us three specific things that God is planning to do for the Israelites. And as it turns out, it's three things that God continues to do for us through Jesus today. Three things, rescue, restore, and reside. The first one, God will rescue. Remember, as a direct result of their disobedience, As a direct result of ignoring God's word and trying to do things their own way, Israel was conquered, first by Assyria to the north, then Babylon to the east. Israelites were taken off into exile where they'd been for generations. And look what God says here in verse six. Come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. Come, Zion, escape you who live in daughter Babylon. For this is what the Lord says. I will raise my hand against them. God is saying, I'm here to rescue you. Even though you've put yourself in this horrible situation, even because you put this in, yourself in this bad situation because of your sin, I'm gonna bring you home. I'm going to set you free. So come back. This must have been so encouraging for the Israelites, don't you think? I mean, they had lost everything. Nothing was the same as it was before. And now God was saying, I'm here to rescue you. On March 3rd of this year, Ian Steger was snowboarding in Washington with a couple of his friends. They were in a backcountry area um, away from the ski resort, uh, and uh, it was full of fresh, deep powder. And uh, Ian was having what he called an epic run. He was an experienced snowboarder, epic run. When something happened, he, he turned a little too sharply, lost his balance, fell backward, and then he said that it felt like the mountain was caving in. Uh, behind him. He fell backward into a hole called a tree well right next to a tree and the snow collapsed around him and he found himself stuck upside down under six feet of snow. His two friends were in front of him and by the time they realized that he wasn't with him they were well down the mountain and had no idea 
where he was. Ian said he was trapped in total darkness. He tried to free himself, but he realized he couldn't even move an inch. And as he laid there upside down, he said, I I knew I was going to die. In fact, get this, he had a friend who one month earlier had died in the exact same way. He thought about his fiance, he said, how he wouldn't be able to tell her that he loved her. And he wondered how long it would take for him to suffocate. Meanwhile, a skier named Francis Zuber had decided to go down that same backcountry run, and he happened to be wearing a GoPro camera. So check out the video of what happens. So beautiful day. Francis is skiing down the mountain here. Uh, In a minute, he makes a turn, and he sees a flash of red out of the corner of his eye. And he says, what is that? It's the tip of the snowboard, and watch what happens next. Hold on, I'm coming. You okay? Can you breathe? Oh, yeah, okay. All right. We're both gonna catch our breath for a sec. Don't know how big you out, okay? Thank you. Yeah, no problem, man. You good. You can watch the whole video on, on YouTube. It's like five minutes long. Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would be like to be stuck in total darkness, knowing for sure that it's the end, and then to feel someone grab your snowboard, and then to feel the snow being lifted away, and then to hear the voice. Did you hear what he said at the end? I've got you. I've got you. That's just what God was going to do for the Israelites. And friends, in Jesus, that is just what he has done for us. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion, through no one's fault except our own, we were trapped in a pit of our own making no way out, surrounded by total darkness, unable to move, and God rescued us. Colossians 1 says it this way in a verse that many of you memorized during our Deeply Rooted series. For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God says, we don't have to live in exile anymore. We can leave Babylon and come home. We can live the full and abundant life because God has rescued us. Now, there's something really, really interesting to me about this part of the story because when you dig into the history, you find out that Babylon had actually already been conquered by Persia at this time and the Persian authorities had given the Israelites the opportunity to go back home. And some of them had But a lot of them, for whatever the reason, stayed back in Babylon. Maybe they'd gotten comfortable there. Maybe they figured life would be too hard in Israel. Maybe they couldn't just imagine what it would even be like to be back home. But for whatever the reason, even though they could have come home, they stayed in exile. And when you hear that, you think, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, what if when Francis Zuber finished digging all the way to Ian's face in that dramatic scene and he asked if he was okay, what if Ian said, hey, man, thanks for stopping by. I think I'm just going to stay here. 
That'd be ridiculous, right? But that's just what the Israelites had done. And it's easy to throw stones, because, but, but the truth is so often that's what we do much of the time. We've been rescued by Jesus. Those of us who have made the decision to follow Jesus have been set free from sin. We've been set free. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We don't have to live according to the desires of our flesh. We don't have to follow the, the, the structure of our culture around us, their values. But too often we effectively say, thanks so much for the rescue, but I think I'm going to stay here in Babylon. I think I'll continue to serve my flesh. I think I'll continue uh, living according to the values of our culture. Something in our mind just can't conceive of how much better the life in God's kingdom is, and so we somehow just decide to stay in Babylon. But friends, when we do that, we're missing out. We're missing out on the goodness that God has for us. Paul talks about this in Romans 6. He says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? In other words, we've been rescued. We've been rescued for our old lives. Let's not go back to them. The Israelites, remember, they were rescued out of Egypt. Let's not go back to Egypt. Let's turn away from our old lives and turn toward the new life that we have in Christ. So friend, if you find yourself in Babylon today, just remember, Jesus is ready to rescue you. And in fact, it's not just a one-time rescue, not just that time when Christ rescued from your sin. If you're stuck in exile today, Jesus stands ready to rescue you again today. There's a second thing that God promises to do in this text. God will rescue and God will restore. God's not only bringing the Israelites back to Jerusalem, he's rebuilding it. Look at verse one. I looked up, Zechariah said, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked where you're going. He answered me to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. In this part of the vision, Zechariah sees a surveyor and he's taking measurements to prepare for the rebuilding project that God's doing in Jerusalem. Here's an illustration for you. Imagine that this afternoon, a couple hours from now, you're sitting at your kitchen table eating lunch and there's a knock at the door. And you open the door and it's Chip and Joanna Gaines. I don't know why I'm stuck on Chip and Joanna today. I am. But it's Chip and Joanna and they come inside and Chip pulls out his tape measure and he starts measuring the cabinets and Joanna starts making notes about where she's gonna put up the shiplap. I'm gonna be honest, I don't know what shiplap is, but people talk about it like it's a good thing so I decided to throw it in there. So they're measuring, they're getting ready. How do you feel in that moment? How do you feel? Really, how do you feel? Excited? Yes, excited. Like me, I was like, yeah, do you know those cabinets have been here since 1986? Yes. It'd be an exciting day, and that's just what's happening here. God is saying that he's going to rebuild Jerusalem. He's going to restore it. And later on in the passage in verse 11, we find out he's going to refill it as well. And this is so cool, just a side point, not just with the people that, he's, that are returning from exile. He said he's gonna fill it with people from many nations. And friends, what a beautiful truth about God's kingdom that it's not just people like us that are invited, amen? People from all over the world, every, uh, everywhere on the political spectrum, socioeconomic spectrum, every background, every ethnicity invited to be a part of God's kingdom. Verse four says, the city will be so full of these people that it'll be a city without walls and that God will be the walls of protection around them. And if you look at the historical narrative, that's exactly what happened. Jerusalem did get rebuilt. The temple did get rebuilt. God fulfilled his promise to restore Jerusalem. And guess what? He's still in the restoration business. God is still in the business of taking broken things and restoring them, rebuilding them. Through the power of Jesus, 
God can take what's broken in your life and heal it. Even if the brokenness is your own fault, even if the reason that the lights are out is that you cut through the power line yourself, Jesus is ready to restore what's broken. He's ready to restore. He's ready to make things right. Now, we we have to understand that this project is not gonna be finished until Jesus returns. We say that all the time, right? Right now, we still face pain. We still face suffering. We still face death. Just yesterday, right on this very platform, I I preached at a funeral sermon for a beloved member of our congregation. We're, We're in this already, not yet, where we've already been saved, but Christ's kingdom has not fully been made complete. But one day, one day, Jesus will return and there will be no more tears, no more suffering. No more brokenness. In the meantime, we still struggle, but we also live in hope. We live in hope because Jesus has already started the restoration project. I see this all the time right here at VRBC. I've seen it over and over again. Jesus is making a real difference in the lives of real people. I know you've seen it as well. I've seen marriages that look like they're on the the brink of disaster be healed and, and become stronger than they were before. I've seen parents and children whose relationship seemed to be completely severed reconcile with one another and be closer than ever. I've seen people overcome addiction. I've seen people move from self-centeredness to other-centeredness. I've seen people find purpose and meaning and hope. Friends, Jesus is the restoration expert. As a verse in our baptistry says, and I hope you read this every week, it says, behold, I am making all things new. I'm making all things new. Jesus restores. So friend, if you are hurting today, and I know so many are, if you're broken today, if you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling with addiction, if you're struggling with bitterness or loneliness, don't try to DIY. Don't try to do it yourself. Come to Jesus. He's the restoration expert. There's a third and final thing that God promises to do in this passage and it's my favorite. Save the, my favorite for last. Zechariah says, God will reside with us. Look at verse 10. It says, shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming, and here it is, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. To me, this is the heart of the whole passage. The greatest promise that God makes to the Israelites is not what he's gonna do to fix their circumstances. The greatest promise that God makes to the Israelites is that he'll be with them, that he will give them his presence. In the immediate context, Zechariah is talking about the the temple, but more than just the physical temple, it's the spiritual reality to which the temple points. He's saying, I myself will be with you. My presence will be with you. I will reside with you. I will dwell with you. And as it turns out, God's presence is by far the greatest gift. It's the one thing they need the most. This is such a key point for us, friends, and it's one that gets missed so often today. God is not just the source of blessings. He is the blessing. God is not just someone we go to to get what we need. He is what we need. This reminds me of a beautiful passage uh, in the book of Exodus. Uh, The Israelites were on their way from slavery to the promised land. Moses was leading them and they were in the desert. And and one day Moses is talking with God and he says these beautiful words, Exodus 33, 15. He says, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. Moses is saying that, that without God, even the land flowing with milk and honey wouldn't be the promised land. 
Because the promised land isn't about circumstances. The promised land is wherever God's presence is. And friends, the same is true for us. God doesn't just give us blessings. He is the blessing. His, his presence is what we need most, friends. And just like he's promised to take up residence in Jerusalem with the Israelites, he's promised to be with you. He's promised to be with me. He's promised to be with us. And in fact, for us, it's even better than it was for the Israelites back then because they had to physically go to the temple to be in God's presence. But you know what happened 500 years later? John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and he resided with us. Friends, the, the promise of this passage when God says, I will live with you was partially fulfilled when the temple was rebuilt, but it was ultimately fulfilled when Jesus came. And now through the Holy Spirit, don't miss this, God's presence is available to every one of us who call Christ Lord all the time. By grace, those of us who call Christ Lord can live all of our lives in the presence of God. We can experience his love, his joy, his peace, his power because he's with us. He's residing with us. His spirit is living in us. And he is what we need most. You know, this has application for us, not just as individuals, but as a church as well. In verse five, God's talking about Jerusalem and he says, I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Now in scripture, fire often symbolizes God's presence. You remember the pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the desert. You remember Pentecost when the tongues of fire came to rest above the people's heads. Fire represents God's presence. And so in this verse, what what God's saying is that Jerusalem doesn't need a physical wall because his presence will be a wall of protection around them and his presence will be their glory. And friends, the same thing is true of the church. As I was doing my study for this passage, I ran across this quote from commentator John Eaton, and I love it so much. I'm going to put it on the screen. He says, the church's greatest defense is still God's presence around her and his glory within her. Friends, the church's greatest defense is not a slate of ministry programs. The church's greatest defense is not a strong financial position. The church's greatest defense is not a well-maintained building. It's not a stellar staff. It's not a great group of volunteers. All those things are important, but the church's greatest defense is God's presence around us and his glory within us. We're in a season of transition as a church right now, and there are so many things that are important for us, right, as we try to seek the Lord's direction for our church. We need to make wise decisions about our ministries, We need to make wise decisions about our strategic direction. We need to make a wise decision about who our next senior pastor will be. But you know what we need so much more than any of those things? God's presence. God's presence, friends, is the one thing that we truly cannot do without in our church. He is our light, he is our protection, and he is our glory. And praise God, he's not far away. He's here. He is here with us. So church, rejoice. Rejoice. And live in hope. After I cut through the power line and the lights went out, I finally learned my lesson. Did what I should have done at the beginning. I called in a professional. I called in an electrician and he came over to the house. He looked at the situation. He patiently showed me where I went wrong. 
He repaired the damage I caused. He, he rescued me from the mess I made and he restored things back to the way they were supposed to be. As I reflected on that story this week, I thought, you know, that's just what Jesus has done for me. That's just what Jesus has done. He's rescued me from my sin. He's undoing the damage that sin has caused in my heart. He's, he's restoring me to the full and abundant life that he has planned for me. But then I realized that's where the similarities stop. Because after the electrician did those things, he said, here's the bill, it'll be X hundred dollars. And then he left. And that's where the uh, analogy stops because after Jesus restored things, he said, I've already paid the bill and I'm staying. I'm not going anywhere. I'm moving in and I'm gonna keep rescuing you. I'm gonna keep restoring you. I'm gonna keep residing with you until the day I call you home. So church family, whatever it is that you're facing today, please don't DIY. Cry out to God, cry out to Jesus, and live in hope. Let's pray. As we rest in this quiet moment, I'd love to invite you to think about how the Spirit may be speaking to you. All of us are in different places in our spiritual journey, and, and for some of us, maybe when, when you hear that story about the rescue, you think, man, that, that's where I am. I need to be rescued. I've never experienced the, the, the rescue of Jesus. I've never been rescued from my sin and taken to, to new life. If that's you today, I would just love to encourage you to cry out to Jesus and say, I wanna give my heart and my life to you. Please forgive me of my sins and know that he will bring you to new life. For others of us, we have been rescued, but maybe we find ourselves living in Babylon, we, and it's time for us to do our part and to respond to the rescue, or maybe you're facing a difficult circumstance and you've been trying so hard to overcome it yourself and you just can't, and if that's you, I just wanna say, cry out to Jesus today. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much we thank you so much that you've rescued us, that you are restoring us, and that you've promised to reside with us forever. We pray that you would empower us as we walk through the lives to which you have called us, that we would say, yes, we can live in this new way, not on our own, but through Christ in us. In whose name we pray, amen.